2: The Guardian
3: You know, of all my accomplishments uh, the greatest and the most miraculous really is sort of defying my prognosis and outliving myself now by 23 years
2: Edward Ndoppo, or Eddie as he likes to be known was first diagnosed with spinal muscular atrophy when he was two years old his mother was told he wouldn't live past the age of five, but Eddie exceeded all of the doctor's expectations. And now the 27-year-old has taken on the monumental task of making sure that no child with a disability is left behind and everyone has access to an education.
3: About 90% of children with disabilities across the developing world have no access to basic education. And I could have easily been you know, one of those statistics that could have been my life.
2: But Eddie was never destined to become a statistic. With an incredibly strong mother by his side, the South African became the first African with a disability to graduate from the University of Oxford.
3: I don't see the experiences and the identities that I embody as inherently negative. I actually think that there is tremendous strength and power in embracing our differences.
2: This is Small Changes, a podcast about how sometimes the seemingly smallest change can have the biggest impact. This week, we look at one man's dream to continuously break down stigma associated with disabilities. I'm Lucy Lamble.
0: Demonstrations against the South African government's strict apartheid policies.
2: Eddie's mother decided to leave South Africa during the height of the apartheid regime, moving to neighbouring Namibia. There, she met Eddie's father and had Eddie and his younger brother. It would be ten years before she would return to South Africa. As Eddie explains, his desire to become an activist came directly from his fearless mother.
3: You know, my mom, you know, is really outspoken against issues of racial inequality and racial injustice. And so in many ways, uh, she's really been my point of reference. She's an incredible woman. She raised me single-handedly and my younger brother. She was a single parent and really did the best she could to ensure that we had access to every opportunity that uh, my non Uh, disabled counterparts had. And so really I owe my own commitment to to justice and equality uh, to my mother.
2: Along with raising two children by herself, Eddie's mother's life was made even more difficult when Eddie was a toddler and the doctors presented her with a terrifying prognosis.
3: So I was diagnosed at the age of two. You know, I'd walked somewhat, sort of with a waddling gait um, up until the age of two and then the diagnosis was made. I I, I couldn't walk anymore. And, um, you know, the doctors predicted that I wouldn't live beyond the age of five. So, you know, of all my accomplishments, the greatest and the most miraculous really is sort of defying my prognosis and outliving myself now by 23 years. And so, you know, that prognosis came with the imposition of expectations around my life.
2: Just for those people who who don't have a friend or family member with SMA, what does it mean for you day to day?
3: Well, spinal muscular atrophy is a motor neuron condition. So basically what it means is the older one gets, the weaker one becomes. So I rely on people for everything from uh, getting dressed to eating, you know, to bathing, all of it. You know, things that I could do 10 years ago, I'm no longer able to do. So about 10 years ago, I was able to hold a fork and feed myself. I'm no longer able to do that. At one point, I had dreams of becoming an artist, a designer. And I went to art classes after school growing up and I sketched incessantly and and that was the path that I saw myself pursuing. But unfortunately, because of the degenerative nature of spinal muscular atrophy, that was a dream that I had to abandon.
2: Due to the severity of his disability, it wasn't considered that Eddie would even be able to join his brother and other children in going to school
3: many educational institutions were really afraid and and scared that they would not be able to meet my needs and unfortunately They just weren't many children living with disabilities that were in school. And so I I stayed at home. I I remember my younger brother was in kindergarten at the time, and I used to envy him. You know, he he would go to school, and there were days when I would accompany my mom when we went to pick him up after school, and I, I just really wanted that for myself.
2: That envy soon turned into sorrow and everything changed the day Eddie's mother came into the house after work to find him sitting and staring at a blank TV screen. Horrified, she grasped his head in her hands and begged him to tell her what was wrong.
3: I remember being bored. Uh, I remember feeling incredibly bored and I just remember feeling a deep sense of longing and a yearning to be with other children, and I was tired of watching television, I was tired of being at home. and the boredom I think resulted in frustration. and so I eventually confided you know in my mom and expressed a deep desire to want to go to school. And you know being the activist that my mom is, it was just necessary then to start looking for schools and ensuring that I have access to education.
2: Eddie's mother knocked on the doors of every elementary school she could find near their home, and eventually one of them accepted him as a pupil.
3: Well, it was very exciting. I was brimming with excitement, and I I remember feeling a little bit nervous and overwhelmed because, of course, I was the only kid with a visible disability in the entire school, so I stood out like a sore thumb. But I just remember having such a huge smile on my face. And, and I know, you know, my mom, she dropped me off and, you know, I, I kind of <laughs> chased her away. I was like, I'm fine now, mom, I'm good. You can go, I'm all right.
2: And, so after um, reassuring his mother at the school I, gates, I, I Eddie set about settling into his new school surroundings. Um, I, it wasn't long before his teachers began to take notice.
3: A memory that really sticks up for me is you know, when we were writing our names and the teacher came by and, and, and she saw me writing my name and I was able to to do that when the other kids in the class couldn't. And the teacher was amazed. I was put in a remedial class, a, a special class separate from the other kids for, for, for children with learning challenges and, and, and with, with disabilities. And she said, you, you actually don't really belong here. Come over and, and join the other kids. And that was my very first early memory of my experience of inclusive education. And that changed everything for me.
2: Fast forward to 2008 and Eddie was chosen to be part of the inaugural class of the African Leadership Academy.
3: So the African Leadership Academy is a world-class pan-African secondary school um, for gifted uh, young people and and the intention, the vision of the school is to develop the next generation of leaders for the continent. There are about 4,000 applications from across Africa and the world for 100 spots and I was part of that 100. And so, you know, those two years at the African Leadership Academy completely changed my life and shifted my paradigm and my worldview. And I began taking my role as a leader in society quite seriously.
2: After the break, we'll hear more about how Eddie's perseverance eventually led to him graduating from the University of Oxford and how every challenge he's faced along the way has convinced him of the importance of his role as a disability activist.
3: The moment one breaks the ceiling, there are new sets of challenges and new sets of experiences to encounter because very few people have been there before. And that can sometimes feel somewhat isolating. It it can be a bit of a lonely experience. However, what keeps me going, I think, is the... Remembrance that this is, this is much bigger than me.
2: Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
1: Plus every single Borough order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at borough.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST.
4: Last year, The Guardian tracked all the deaths of young people due to knife crime and explored the themes that emerged in an award-winning series called Beyond the Blade. Why are they carrying a knife in an area where they know people but they feel that they have to acquit themselves from other people? We saw many people suffering, but we also saw many fighting back. We've got to start looking at how we talk and how we generalize and how we categorize just ordinary people that are poorer than other people or people who don't have as much as other people. For this new series, journalists from The Guardian travel to Bristol, Birmingham and Croydon in South London to listen to some of those people.
2: Society tends to look down at young people once they've made a wrong choice and what we're saying by that is that we're writing them off.
4: And rather than report on their conversations, we let them speak for themselves. When I come out of jail, I'd never been praised before I'd turned my life around. And when I come out and got praised for the work that I was doing, I thrived. That gap needs to be built up a a bit sooner, you know, as opposed to, yeah, just waiting to hear hear from me because I'm waiting to hear from the next generation as well. So we're all waiting and there's no... Like action, happening, happening, happening. If families are fractured, that has an impact on a young
1: person. If a father and a mother get divorced, that has an impact on our young people. And I think the only way they know how to make people sit up and say, listen, there's a real problem
3: going on here, is by violence.
4: To listen to all three episodes, head over to theguardian.com forward slash podcast. Or subscribe by searching Beyond the Blade on your favourite podcast app.
2: Welcome back to Small Changes. I'm Lucy Lamble. Before the break, we met Eddie and Oppo a South African disability activist, who despite a stark prognosis has fought for his place and the place of many others like him in the mainstream education system. After finishing school, Eddie went on to study at Carleton University in Canada, which then led to him accepting a spot at the University of Oxford, where he graduated with a master's in public policy. I wanted to know what it was like for a young man who'd very nearly been left out of the entire school experience to make it to Oxford.
3: Well, I knew that this was something that was much bigger than me. You know, I I knew that being the first African with a degenerative disability, to attend and graduate from Oxford comes with an enormous responsibility and and there's a political and a moral obligation to really utilize that opportunity in service of a vision that's larger than myself. You know, the late Dr. Maya Angelou has this phenomenal line in one of her poems where she says, I come as one but I stand as 10,000. And in many ways I, I, I see myself that way that, you know, in all the spaces that I move through, I'm usually the only Visibly disabled person there, and so I feel a great sense of thinking about, you know, about leaving the door open so that more people come after me.
2: And as Eddie explains, there is an urgent need for someone to act on the issue of children with disabilities getting an education.
3: About 90% of children with disabilities across the developing world have no access to basic education. And I could have easily been, you know, i one of those statistics that could have been my life. And so Oxford really was not just a, a victory for myself. It felt like a victory for uh, people with disabilities everywhere.
2: You set up Evolve while you were at Oxford, um, which is about closing the access gap. Um, you've got an annual index, haven't you? You do a report, there's a fellowship fund. How does that work?
3: I developed a, a, a concept around moving beyond zero and what that means is that if we think about where people with disabilities around the world are, we're basically operating at negative 10 and zero is the aspiration for our lives. So if, if we're able to have access to transportation, for example, that is celebrated as the benchmark of our inclusion and, and I really am trying to push back against that framing. That as people with disabilities, we want to move beyond zero. We want to actually aim for 10. We want access to joy. We want access to dignity. I often say that, you know, the ramp is great, but it's not enough. We want the whole building. We don't just want the ramp. And so Evolve Initiative is really thinking about how do we develop policies that actually move beyond compliance, that are not just about ticking a box.
2: You've said in the past that some of the opportunities that you've managed to make the most of are just not available for everyone with a disability. How do we get to a place where everyone has access to the things they need, such as the freedom of movement or or the proper technology they need?
3: I think we need to reaffirm our commitment to leaving nobody behind. You know, Countries all over the world have signed up to the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and these global goals are meant to benefit everyone. But in order for us to really attain that vision of prosperity for everybody. We need to start with the people that are most marginalized. We need to start with the people that are living at the intersection of multiple forms of exclusion. So often our interventions continue to leave people out who embody a multiplicity of identities and who experience social exclusion on on multiple fronts and so i think we need to change our methodology uh, as policymakers, as as people that 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 shape discourse in society we need to really remain attuned the experience and reality of those that are just completely on the outskirts of, of society
2: eddie describes himself as young black disabled and queer which in South Africa isn't always the easiest set of circumstances.
3: Well, I think about a response that James Baldwin, the American author, he was once asked in an interview, what does it feel like to be black, poor and homosexual? And he responded with, I think I've hit the jackpot. And in some ways I share that sentiment. I don't see the experiences and the identities that I embody as inherently negative. I actually think that there is tremendous strength and power in embracing our differences. I'm able to have such a multidimensional perspective to the world that has actually enabled me to achieve all the things that I achieved. So I really believe that disability is a site of innovation and so are all of the other identities that I embody. I'm able to look at the world through a different lens and that has been absolutely phenomenal for me.
2: Eddie has received recognition for his work all over the world. Forbes magazine has named him one of the top 30 thinkers under 30 and MTV has dubbed him one of the 50 most powerful disabled people. However, despite all of his successes, it hasn't always been plain sailing. He has acknowledged occasional struggles with depression too.
3: I realize that I am on a journey and I often say that the more barriers I break down, sometimes it does feel like the more inaccessibility I experience because it is uncharted territory. And this is part of why I have such a strong commitment to disability justice because the moment one breaks the ceiling, there are new sets of challenges and new sets of experiences to encounter because very few people have been there before. And that can sometimes feel somewhat isolating. It it can be a bit of a lonely experience. However, uh, what keeps me going, I think, is the remembrance that this is, this is much bigger than me, right, that I have committed my life to ensuring that I'm able to uplift as many people as possible and that I can bring more people along with me on the journey. Despite
2: the challenges that Eddie has grappled with, he's recently spent six months working at UN Women, and he's also a new Global Ambassador for Humanity and Inclusion. But it seems as though Eddie is just too important to stick to planet Earth. He's planning to take his dreams even further.
3: All the way to space. I've joined forces with with the UN on a groundbreaking campaign to address the UN General Assembly from the edge of the planet as the first wheelchair user in space. And the goal really is very symbolic. It it is to give credence to this idea of leaving nobody behind. Um, But it's also in honor of the late Nelson Mandela, who once said that it always seems impossible until it is done. And that quote resonates with me so deeply, because when I think about my own life, everything has seemed impossible until I did it. And so I have an opportunity to really call on world leaders um, you know, through this humanitarian message from outer space to the U.N. to reaffirm their commitments to leave nobody behind and really open up opportunities and open up education for children with disabilities everywhere.
2: Special thanks to Peter and my baby at Prime Media Studios in Johannesburg for helping us set up a studio for Eddie. If you have any questions about Eddie or any ideas for future shows, you can send me an email at podcasts at Small Changes is produced by Danielle Stevens. I'm Lucy Lamble. Thanks for listening.
1: or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP
0: for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.